Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 459. Thank you for tuning in, guys. Thank you for all the love for, for, for recent episodes. There was two last week with the amazing Joe Barton and the amazing Jordan Stevens. And we're keeping the theme of Jays by having Jack Rook and John Pointing on this week's episode. And man, have I got a lot to say in this intro, so strap yourselves in. This is one of my favourite chats I've had since we've had... We had this chat prior to Big Boys coming out on Channel 4, available on all four now. Since it's come out, it has got so much praise and I've been so happy. Jack is being described... um, I think it was in The Guardian or somewhere. They said he's this year's Phoebe Waller-Bridge or Michaela Cole. Previous two-time guest Michaela Cole. And it's getting so much praise and love. And if John doesn't get mad amounts of nominations come nomination time, it's going to be purely because comedy is overlooked more in the awards world. It's harder to a win to win awards with comedies. A win awards, <laughs> a win awards with comedies. John's performance is amazing. Dylan's all the performances are amazing. But I was particularly excited to talk to Jack and John because. On on the on the Jack front, if this is your first time listening, go and have a quick look at any pictures of me. I like if you looked up hipster in the dictionary, you'd see a little drawing of me. I look like a hipster. I swear I'm not, but I'm gonna be going full hipster on Jack for years to come. When Jack continues to be praised as the best, I'm gonna be like, mate, I had Jack on the podcast five years ago no no scratch that scratch that i'm gonna go fuck that i was talking to jack on my radio show 10 years ago no 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 no. don't even bother with that i was booking jack for spoken word gigs over a decade ago son i've seen how amazing jack is for a long time and it's so beautiful to see that kind of come into a fruition weirdly next week i speak to the director of big boys and in that, we talk a little bit about how I've always felt Jack has always been brilliant, but he's not quite been sure what he is. Does that make sense? In spoken word, it was amazing spoken word artist, but I don't think he was in his heart. He felt he was a spoken word artist. So then he kind of did some comedy type stuff. And I think in his heart, he didn't feel like he was necessarily a standard comedian. And Big Boys feels like Jack's found who he is. And I'm beaming with pride, man. And then we get on to John, who I've caught his fringe show. I mean, we talk about all of this. The weird part with John is I became a big fan of him because of a fucking a Virgin Media advert, which, interestingly, there's a guy called Barmer I follow on Twitch and on Twitter. He had one of the best back-and-forth threads with Virgin Media a few days ago. So go and, and look that up. Hang on. Let me double-check his Twitter handle. So you can can look it up act- accurately. On Twitch, he's just Barmer, and on Instagram, he's Barmer Live. Um, but that's a sidetrack. And I mean, speaking of things, I'm gonna. This is the longest intro I've ever done. All I'm saying is, go and watch Big Boys on all four because it's astounding, and just get excited about everything that's ahead for both of these guys because they're amazing. They're really, really, really good. <laughs> it's wicked. It's wicked. It's really nice. I really, I really like it. I'm going to stop rambling. We're brought to you, as ever, by um, speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can get all my merch. I mean, the weather at the moment, although it's all over the place, but my web store, thankfully, 
we sell, I always use these as an example, we sell sunglasses, swimwear, coats and umbrellas. So we've got you covered for a British summer, you know. You can also head to patreon.com forward slash Pip to support the podcast for a dollar a month. It all helps. It's appreciated. Uh, we actually had a month recently that I ran the podcast at a loss. So uh, not that I'm trying to pile the guilt on you guys, but, you know, it is what it is, all right? I'll take money in exchange for guilt. But the best place to come and hang out is twitch.tv forward slash Pipio. I love messing about on Twitch. As I've mentioned a few times, I'm doing these things on Fridays now called TPI Fridays. Friday nights, it's where the action is. It's sometimes, not every Friday, but it's often on Friday nights. I'm doing Saturday morning wrestling. You can come and watch all of this. It's just live TV is all it is. If you're thinking I don't understand, you, you, you don't need to. It's fine. It's live TV. Come and have a come and have a look. Oh, also, David Earl recently, he's, he's coming back on the podcast soon, as well as Jim Archer, as I've just said, who directed Big Boys. He's also directed David's new film, Brian and Charles, which won Cannes. It won the audience vote at the London Cannes Film Festival thing, which is amazing. But I caught up with Joe Wilkinson and David Earl, who do a podcast together called Chatterbix, to have a little chat about um, what we'd do if we won the lottery. So let's have that first, and then we'll finish the intro, and then we'll get into the podcast. Today's episode of the Distraction Pieces podcast is brought to you by the National Lottery and they've asked me to delve into the question we've all considered at one point or another. What would you do if you won the National Lottery? But I'm not here on my own. I'm joined by David and Joe, hosts of Chatterbix. Hello, guys. How are you? Very, very good. Lovely to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's lovely to have you. Genuinely? Really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, guys, we are gathered here today because we've been asked to imagine that we just won the big bucks on the lottery. You check your ticket on the National Lottery app and you realise you're a winner. First of all, what's your immediate re- reaction? What do you actually think you'd do in that moment? Um, I'd probably treat myself to a cab home from where I bought the ticket. <laughs> you stayed in there until the until the numbers were read. Yeah, saves me putting my heating on. You said you said I'll have one lottery ticket for Saturday's lottery. You don't mind if I hang around, do you? Thursday it is. Yeah, I'll do that. I'd get a cab home. I, I, what I'd do a triple check I'd won because if I hadn't won, and I've just. At a taxi home, I'd be fuming. Oh. <laughs> or that's, I mean, that's another one of the things I wanted to ask is who you'd tell. If you, if you won the lottery, who would you tell? Because I think I wouldn't tell anyone. <laughs> I'd, <laughs> I'd just have the money. Yeah, because I think you start off by being sort of fake humble and then <laughs> and then the reality kicks in and you go, uh, no, I, do you know what I genuinely do? If we're being honest, I'd live off the interest. <laughs> Most boring answer possible. <laughs> Brilliant. Would you share the money with anyone or any causes? Uh, publicly, I'd say I would, but publicly, privately, you'd say you would. would. <laughs> Who would you publicly claim to share it with, Joe? I'd publicly say that I've given all my family a, a serious wedge. You would, though. You absolutely would. Mm, that's good that you think that. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Here's a question. All right. Imagine we're three months down the line. What do you think your most extravagant purchase would have been? Think about it. When I got my first um, record deal, Zane Lowe really mocked me because the first thing I bought was was an arcade y- unit, and he said it's the nerdiest, least rock and roll thing you've ever bought. A freestanding nice. stand-up arcade game. I probably would have built a little mini arcade in my outhouse. Would people? You wouldn't want people coming in and playing the games. No, 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 What do you think the most extravagant purchase you would have made? I'd buy a house on the river. Nice. Yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably outbid David on the house he wanted. Scroobius. Yes. What would be your one big stupid purchase if you won the National Lottery? Something your inner teenager or kid wants? Lovely question, David. It's a great question. (laughs) Love it. Um, There was was a thing when we were kids that was, I think it was called something like Mr. Peanut. There's a little (laughs) peanut with a top hat. Yeah. And and you could make your own peanut butter with him. So I'd want a massive one made. Actually, I'm back in, I'm going, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember. No, again, most people don't. I don't. It was Mr. Peanut, and it was a peanut in a top hat, and you made your own peanut butter. I promise you. Do you really like peanut butter? I really did as a kid, yeah. I'm not into it now, but it's the principle of oh. it. Oh, okay. I don't. I don't. <laughs> not for me. Not for me. <laughs> 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 so, final question to the three of us. Mm-hmm. Let's say each of us were lucky enough to win the National Lottery, and we pulled our cash together... So we had around like half a billion. Gee whiz. What would we have to agree to buy with that that, that chunk of change? I was on holiday once and I saw Dr. Dre's yacht and it was it was um it was nice. It was really nice. I mean with Dre with half a billion, we could probably get Dre on there for a bit. But the the cost of running one of those the daily cost of running a yacht is about twenty five grand of that size. So Well we're like a podcast world. Like Disney World. Podcast World. Podcast World. I like it. Slides and things. <laughs> Slides and roller coasters where you listen to off menu. <laughs> yeah. Oh, can I have another going off menu, please, Daddy? <laughs> imagine it. Imagine the off menu food area. Yeah. Every dish that's ever been ordered on off menu. Like Peter Crouch's roller coaster is massive. Really. It's one of those ones that's really high and just drops. And then it comes up and it stops <laughs> in his arm and, the, and he does the robot. Yeah. And, you, and, you, and you're in there, so you're being swooped about. Yeah. Oh, my God. you imagine how shag-married, annoyed rider just be the cues would be around the bloody block? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute mayhem. They'd be like, oh, we haven't got, oh, we want to go on a bit. We haven't got time. We haven't got, look at the funny size of the queue. Go on, Chatterbix. Have another go on, Chatterbix. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bored of yeah. Chatterbix. This is rubbish. Not to get ahead of ourselves, are we going to have equal share in this? 50% to Chatterbix, 50% to... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Equal shares, my friend. It's got to be two-thirds Chatterworld, because David and I are putting in two-thirds of the cash. Don't... This is not the footing you want to start this off on, Pip. David, you you can have the job of going around smashing the slides when a podcast drops out of the top 20. It gets moved to the car park. 
Sorry, lads, you're at 21 now. (laughs) Bye-bye. Well, thanks to the National Lottery for allowing me to fantasise about a life of riches. Um, I'm now going to go back to my life of not riches, but I know my next move is to get a ticket, punch in my lucky numbers, and make all of this a reality. So remember, the National Lottery is where your numbers make amazing happen, whether it's a big win or the National Lottery players raising funds for good causes across the country. There we go. That was David and Joe. As I mentioned, David will be on in a few weeks i love that man dearly as said you're gonna love this chat we stayed on the zoom for a big chunk afterwards you know and just uh we got a bit emotional to be quite frank we talked about pals that we've lost and uh it was really lovely to talk about them and i really want soon hopefully in margate i want to meet up with jack and john and I want to talk to them. I want to hear more about friends that they've lost. And I want to tell them more about friends I've lost. And I think that'd be really lovely. I don't want that to be... I'm not talking about for a podcast. I'm talking about IRL. Um, yeah. So hopefully we can all find some time for that soon. And have a lovely sit somewhere. And a lovely chat. But speaking of lovely chats... This is episode 459 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the wonderful, glorious Jack Rook and John Pointing. So shall I press record now? No, I'm on. I've been right, recording. Yeah. I've been recording both of your failures, your Flipping technological L-J. failures. You, that is basic. You sound delicious. Beautiful. Oh, do I? Yeah. Thank yeah. you. You sound very nice. I should say I'm here with Jack Rook and John Pointing. How are you both? Woo. Lo- Whoa, lovely. Woo. Yeah, good. Thanks. Very good. I'm really excited to have you both on. Got you on, of course, to talk about big boys. Yeah, baby. Before we get into it all, how was the l- launch? The other night, Jack. I, I I've not told you this because I thought I'd hold off. I watched at the right time, so it oh, was like so I would feel like I was so you there. Were like there. I watched at home. <laughs> I held off. I got the link a couple of days before, and I was like, I want to be involved, so I'm just gonna I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna watch it on the evening. And then I, I looked at your Instagram stories. I was like, Yay! Everyone enjoyed it. It was lovely. you synced up. You synced up perfectly, <laughs> yeah, mate. I did. I did. Um, it was really fun. Like it was, we had a sort of like daytime sort of press, and then like comedy pals little screening. Yeah, it was really it was intense. Actually, I, I was like, they made us all sit on the front row, so we were all watching ourselves yeah. on this like massive hundred and twenty inch, like well, not actually bigger yeah. than a hundred and twenty inch. I would argue. Yeah. I don't know how inches work. I don't know why I mentioned that. Big screen, but it was huge, <laughs> and I it felt very exposing to be sat on the front row where there's yeah. like. 80 people sat behind you and and I, it was a bit like everyone was watching me having sex. I felt like it was sort of I think really... I would have much rather have been at, at the back. Yeah, than, yeah, but, you know. but alas. The reason we sat at the front is because we then did like a Q&A afterwards so they just wanted us to sort of tumble forward. But then actually we then had to leave the whole room to then re-enter. So it was actually one of those like faffy things. Yeah, it's that stuff's the most uncomfortable. I always... In the music industry, there's mm. artists who will send you 
their new material, and there's artists who will sit with you in the room. Oh and, my god! And, like like and Kanye. The, yeah, and that's the most awkward ones I've had. I've had them before where they're literally, oh, listen to this. Yeah, yeah, and again, I've never been that kind of artist. I wouldn't be the one who wants to be on the front row of this thing, kind of no. l- l- looking around at everyone, going, "Huh? Yeah, huh? <laughs> did, did you like that one? The, did, that that huh? joke was good. That huh? landed. Yeah, it was. It was just so, yeah, a bit creepy. That's odd. But no, it was fun, and it was fun to sort of um, actually explain what the show is because for so long it just sort of sits on my laptop, and yeah. I hope that people will get it. But yeah, Jack. B- before you came on, I gave John a spoiler that I fucking adore it. I think it's amazing. There's so much oh, I want to talk to you both about it. I'm so excited. But, Jack, you've been on before, so sit yourself down for a second, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I'm going to. I've been on twice before. You've been on twice, yeah. You had a mini one, a full one, and now a shared one. And now a shared one. Wow. <laughs> it's, it. it's, it's, it's like you need. No one else has had that. But I want to talk to John a bit because, mate, I'm a big fan. And I've kind of, I've Thank told you, you this briefly before. I weirdly became a fan because of an advert. I know. So you, you <laughs> messaged, so you came to see my Edinburgh show in 2017, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. was absolutely one of my fringe highlights, mate. It blew Thanks, me mate. away. Yeah. And it was perfectly timed because it was just as it was just after i'd started to get into acting so it was playing kind of a bit of a life coach actor serious guy and yeah it resonated with so much nonsense so had you so at that point you'd you were sort of starting what just going up for auditions or like yeah yeah had you done anything like that like an acting class or no no i did a class a little while after that so i'd i'd been going up for auditions and i'd been getting gigs and all the feedback was you've you've booked this because you're not a drama school kid you need to be traumatised by yeah. uh, some bloke in uh, yeah. linen trousers. Well, that was it. I was kind of <laughs> like, I, I, I wanted to, it was a weird one because I'm not, I'm never one to rest on my laurels. So I was like, this is yeah. cool that I'm getting work, but also I want to learn a bit. But mm. <laughs> that show was a perfect example of you want to learn from good people. So it's a really yeah. tough thing, particularly I live in Essex. So it's not like I'm in London where there's these heralded, you know, t- teachers. Yeah. So I was thinking, if I just go to some random class, it will be like that <laughs> that character, <laughs> and it'll take all the edge off. It was sort of like, I guess, it was sort of loosely based on a lot of things. Like my experience at uni, like I didn't go to drama school. I went, I did um, drama studies, which was sort of a bit generic and broad and yeah. kind of a bit. It wasn't really about training us to be actors. So we had a lot of uh, people. A lot of our teachers were the kind of people that'd be like, it's Monday morning, I don't want to be here, you don't want to be here. And I was like, I'm fucking paying to be here. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I kind of... And I suppose I also wanted to do, like, a show that was, like, one character for the whole thing. And, And that sort of just sort of came... Seemed like a good, yeah, way to make a show that was one character and it sort of made sense that he was in front of a room full of people. Yeah. As opposed to sort of like having to create some artifice about, I don't know, anything else. So, yeah, it, it was a funny one because, like, it was really fun at first. And after a while, it started, like, the character even did start to grate on me a bit. Like, <laughs> I remember, like, my, my stepdad's, um, he works in theatre, he's from Germany. And one of his mates came over, who's still an actor. And after, he came to see the show and afterwards was like, why have you done that? 
was like, what do you mean? <laughs> what was, was that like, about? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you do want to be an actor, don't you? I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, mm, just be careful because, like, you sort of might ruin it for yourself a little bit. And because, which I know, obviously, the, the character was such an extreme version of that kind of person. Yeah. But you're, I suppose he was, it was like you're sort of taking the mick. You just, there's a line and you've got to be yeah. careful that you sort of, that it doesn't start coming from like the wrong place where, you know what I mean? Does that make yeah. sense? No, like, it makes perfect sense. But I thought it, it landed perfectly because I think one of the most important things in acting or all, all the actors I've really connected with is those who know when to take it 100% seriously yes, and also yeah. know when to go, this is all a bit silly, isn't it? In, yeah. In reality, this is a bit, a bit just stupid. I, and that's kind of definitely. what it and felt also, like that I, character was. It was going, look, here's, here's how far it can go and this is a bit much. Yeah, and I think it is also like he was all about it was none of the sort of actual work. It was not about the performances, all about the working out. And I think sometimes, like, when you're in a rehearsal room, you kind of have to do and go through some things that you would rather no one in the world ever saw because you just sort of have to go through that. And you talk about the work in a way that makes it sound like you're changing the world. But you do sort of have to do that. And I think sometimes in that world, people think everyone needs to see this. Mm. Everyone needs to see that working out and everyone needs to see how sort of clever and brilliant we all are. Yeah. So, yeah. And also it's just like a bit of a shortcut to being, like you don't actually have to do any of the work. You can just sort of kind of like ask open-ended questions and get people to roll about and be like, huh? You know, it's up to you. You figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. My favourite thing, I was was chatting to Benedict Wong about this a couple of episodes ago because he... he sent me a few or recommended a few different acting books and stuff like that. And my favourite thing, even with even with the classes I've now done, is f- finding the bits I love, but also finding the bits I think are absolute utter bullshit. And I think it is important to have that that balance of going, no, 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 this, yeah. this is a pretentious decade going too far. But this bit on the journey there, or this bit at the end there, is fucking you know, yeah. amazing because it is. It's all individual, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it was. I think it was a lot of fun doing that show at first and then over time I think I sort of, I don't know, it definitely sort of got more serious and a bit darker over time and it might have been the sort of the general climate of like actors and things that were coming out and it was sort of around the sort of Me Too thing happening mm-hmm. and it started to become a little bit sinister and prob- I think willfully, like I was sort of aware of that and was sort of pushing it in that direction a bit. But then I think a few times I would do a show... And I would sort of look at people and be like, I think I'm ruining your evening. (laughs) (laughs) I sort of like really go in on them. And I think like that's quite a common thing when you're doing comedy. At some point you go through that bit where you kind of want to be like, fuck the audience, you know, like um, I'm sort of like, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. And particularly when you're doing a character, it gives you that free free reign to go further because it's not you attacking them. It's yes. the, it's yeah, the yeah, character. Exactly. I, I had Brian Gittins support me on yeah. a on a tour once, and it was me, Kay Tempest, and Brian Gittins, which is a really weird mix. <laughs> and David Earl would come off after every gig and apologise to me. Um, because he thought he'd done the worst thing in the world. I was like, it was amazing every time. Granted, there were a lot of people who were like, what is happening? Because, yeah, he's one of those comedians who is, the point is it's it's more fun if people aren't getting it. 
if you know what yes, I mean. Yes, it, exactly. You, like you the, revel the people, in that awkwardness yeah. of like, what's going on? Hopefully at the end they all click, yeah. For the people that are getting it, exactly, they're having a great time. Yeah. But I think, well, I suppose with like, Brian Gittins is more like shambolic and sort of yeah. like, people are angry at him, it's because they're like, why aren't you doing it properly? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I think with like that character, the Caden character, it was more like, it was slightly more aggressive um, as yeah. opposed to shambolic, which... Which was which was part of the fun, but yeah, I think towards the end I was sort of like ready to move on. Well, during the pandemic, I had an acting gig in Canada and I was on my own in an Airbnb for seven months and that left me a lot of time to work on character, to work on the approach, yeah. to find this. And I ended up just binging the entirety of Please Like. Um, oh, yeah. Which, again, I also absolutely don't. I did about an hour of all that character bollocks and then went, yeah. nah, let's just see what's on. Let's let's get a VPN and, and watch yeah. iPlayer. Um, and I loved it, mate. Is it, oh, How was that to uh, to work on? I've had Liam on and I think he's amazing. But yeah. you, you, Tim Key, it, it felt like such a, a great current show it felt very now it felt like it's having a look at youtubers and then when there was a pandemic section of it so it was fucking immediate we were still in the pandemic so how was that that to work on and to find that it was great it was sort of my first like job that wasn't just like a bit part really it was the first my first proper job really it's quite a small and throughout it has always been quite a small crew it's quite low budget quite sort of simple which kind of my favorite really because I think when there's kind of less people, everyone's sort of forced to muck in a bit more and the sort of atmosphere is more like we've just sort of got to get on with it. And it was it was really fun and very free. And obviously just, I think, like, Liam just did a really good thing of finding a sort of structure to get a load of people together and, you know, muck about. And it's... Yeah. I mean, I had no, I had no idea really about the whole vlogger thing. I think, like, when I got the self-tape through... You know, they list like a couple of people you should have a look at. I think I lasted about twenty seconds. I was like, right, I get it. <laughs> I get the idea. I get that. It's literally just narrating what little, like, just whatever's going on. That's just it. It's like here I am talking to you, and got my laptop open, the pen's right here, and uh, it's inexplicable yeah. confidence. I think with with those things, which again, I think can be. It's a positive thing. It's a wonderful thing. But anytime I watch them, it's like, how are you? It was great for like improvising because you didn't have to come up with anything. You didn't have to yeah. actually think of any kind of things. You could just yeah. speak out loud. That's basically it. Mate, I've just said all that, and I've just realised what I'm doing after this is 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 doing my Twitch stream because I'm now a Twitch streamer. So I'm just sitting there talking absolute fucking bollocks while playing a computer game. So I'm like, how do they do this? How do they do this craziness? All right. I suppose it all depends on like your frame of reference and what's actually going on in between your ears. I mean, if like your life is literally just getting free stuff from people, then I don't know. Yeah. But I I mean, like I say, I never really watched a lot of YouTubers, so... And I don't think, even like with, like Liam said, he watched loads of it for the show and he ended up kind of becoming, you know, sort of quite fond of a lot of them and sort yeah. of almost sort of enjoyed it. So yeah. I don't think it's totally mean. It's it's more just, uh, like I say, like a good framework for I think genuinely, I think most of the people in that show are in some way likeable and you do end up, the way it's yeah. written as well, you do end up having s- sympathies for them despite them clearly being... 
initially presented as almost villainous, like or at least presented with disdain by Liam. Um, yeah, and I think like Liam, like that's you know, like yeah, he sort of wraps it up like that. He's sort of like yeah. you know, I have grown fond of these people, and yeah, like they're not so bad essentially. Do you know what yeah, I mean? exactly. Well, speaking of 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 what's between your ears, I was delighted to start Big Boys and hear Jack's voice. I didn't know you were going to be narrating it as such. So that was a wonderful treat. And how was that? uh, Was that always the plan? Was there any? Yeah. What was your thoughts on it? Or how did it all come about? I got told I couldn't play myself. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Which was one of the most hilarious moments of my career. Because then the people that told me I couldn't play myself then cast me in John's show. Because <laughs> me and John made a short together. I love it's, it. The show began its life out at BBC Comedy. Full right. love. Thank you, guys. But yeah, they, they absolutely... There was no way in hell they were going to let me play me. But I also really feel like at the time it was a really sort of quite painful how, experience. How was that to not get To not get yourself. the job of playing yeah. myself. <laughs> I, I had one recently. I had one recently and I... I shouldn't go into too much detail, but the character was a guy with a stammer who's got tattoos and is a drug dealer. I've got a stammer, I've got tattoos, and I used to fuck about a bit. Um, I know. And thank and you so much like, for the role. I love yeah. the role. It's the best thing I've ever had. I was like, <laughs> I was like this is the easiest audition ever. And then I didn't get it, and I was like, well, I should just give up acting then, really. But at least it wasn't actually me. So actually, that's. Yeah, yeah that I must mean, have been interesting. I, I weirdly think of it as a humongous blessing in disguise. At the time, it was quite like, oh, okay. Uh, it felt a little bit sort of. Um, it was a stranger because we, we, I'd always like thrown my hat in the ring. I was never, I never wrote Big Boys thinking, oh, this is going to be me playing it. Mm. I, 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 we auditioned loads of other actors, and actually, what what I really wanted from someone was somebody who was a really proficient comedy actor, but who also could do all the vulnerable, sad stuff. Yeah. And now, you know, five years on from making the pilot, it's a huge blessing in disguise in a way that I wasn't doing it because I don't think I would have written the series as honestly for myself yeah, to act right. because I'm not really sure if I've got the acting chops in me to act losing my dad and going through all that stuff with, you know, my mum and bereavement. I feel like it would... I'd be way too self-conscious of how I looked or how I was doing it or... But yeah, so actually I feel like it's kind of made me a bit of a better writer because... Yeah. And, and I actually do think this sometimes about like stand-ups shows so they often, if the stand-up is at the front of the show or the comedian's at the front, they often give themselves all the best lines and then chuck everyone else the exposition. And I kind of, you know, this is the opposite. But it's nice to narrate it still. And also because it's a past, it's set in 2013, it's set in the past... You kind of know you're watching a set of memories. You're watching a kind mm. of like, you know, you're watching a show. You're very aware of that. Lastly, it's a modern Wonder Years. Why hasn't anyone revisited the Wonder Years? Exactly. That's what it is. It's the narrator saying, here's, here's what I went through. It's fucking heavenly. Here was how great everything was before Brexit. In yeah, that, like, yeah, post-2012 yeah, Olympic, yeah. like, oh, it might actually be all right to be British now. Like, we're actually accepting our, our misgivings in the past and we're mate, trying to be progressive. Mate, it shows where we are in the world that you're saying that this is a reflection of how much better things were when it's a story about your dad dying um, <laughs> and, and numerous other grim things. It's kind of simpler times. It was a simpler time. <laughs> but also, just, you know, on the back of that thing, I think Dylan Llewellyn, who 
you know, plays Jack and he's yeah. playing a sort of, you know, crafted, really shy, quite sort of vulnerable version of me. He's so great at it. And he's, he's amazing. So good the at, vulnerability like, is so subtle and like, un, un, like it's not overplayed, if you know what yeah. I mean. There's, there is just that instantly. There's The thing that I like about it is it feels like, because when you're vulnerable, you want to do everything to not come across as vulnerable. Yeah, but when yeah. actors often play vulnerable, they try and play vulnerable. He's playing someone who's vulnerable, trying not to come across as vulnerable, yeah, which yeah. is fucking beautiful. That's what, again, instantly you're like, this is amazing. This is, this yeah. is how it needs to be. And I, I feel like this is exactly why sometimes it would have been amazing for me to have fronted a series. Like, I'm not going to lie, that would have been cool. But at the same time, like, I care more about the story and getting the story right than trying to shoehorn myself in. <laughs> and yeah. it's self-indulgent enough, do you know what I mean? Like, like you, Pip's known me for 10 years. I've spoken about this dead dad shtick for fucking a decade. I've been cashing in. So I've got to <laughs> sit back eventually. You've got to let someone else take the lead. And... I mean, speaking of that, my first n- note I made, I've written Big Boys, and then I've written I Love Danny quite a bit. Because I just think, as a character, it's so beautifully written. I think it's played beautifully. Um, just instantly l- lovable. I can't Again, I can't remember m- many characters that just instantly I'm like, oh, this, this person's gr- great. So, yeah. How was that to get the character and, and to find it, John? And knowing how much... The character means to Jack, obviously, because it, it is from your past. It was, yeah. you know. I think probably it was at Edinburgh, right, that we sort of properly started chatting. And I came to see Jack's show, Happy Hour, about his friend Ollie. And I lost my best mate in my early 20s. And we obviously, so yeah, you know, I connected with his show a lot and we sort of chatted about it. And I sort of think, you know, I, it was never the case. It was never, I was never going to try and do an impression of, of you know your friend like that was never going to be what it was jack kind of gave me the confidence to think you sort of got this like from the even before we started working on it i think jack saw something in me when we started hanging out that was like there's obviously some kind of i'd guess a similarity in personalities Mm. i think the pizza thing I mean, that was, we connected over you, Sam, (laughs) like four in the morning and just looking at me and going, I dare you to get a pizza. (laughs) (laughs) It just transported me back to, I I know it's such a stupid thing to say, but I was like, I just get that. I just 100% get that. Yeah. I think that was the moment in my mind where I, I felt like I said something to John that is the sort of thing that I would have said to my friend Ollie. Yeah, and I, yeah. so, as soon as I said that and we both laughed, I was like, oh, yeah, I'd, he doesn't he doesn't need to audition. He doesn't need to prove himself. He can do whatever yeah. he wants. He can rewrite the dialogue. He can change the part. He can do like whatever he wants. Like, it was sort of a real implicit trust between the two of us. Though. It was like, you're yeah. going to get this character. Yeah, uh, and I think, like, you know, I dare you to get a pizza is, like, <laughs> is, sums up a sort of, I don't know, like... Forward, like front facing, I suppose a lot of people think I'm quite a lad, and I sort of that's what Danny is, you know, he's sort of a sort of uber lad at first, but I think like really that's just a sort of a front. If anything, it's kind of like overplayed because there's probably a lack of that in his life, or it's more like it's more the surroundings you grow up in, you know, it's kind of like those people uh, are just, you know, anyway, yeah, so I think I, I think I understood the character of Danny quite well. I um I 
after watching, I said I've watched the first two episodes I got sent. After watching them, I was talking to my partner and I was like, it's got one of my favourite characters that, like instantly favourite characters I've seen in anything. And I was like, it's this guy, Danny, and he's kind of super hetero (laughs) kind of lad, but he's just such an ally. He's so instantly supportive of of Jack's character's sexuality and wanting to get him out there. And she kind of paused and went, fucking ego on you. I was like, what? She's like, well, that's you. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a Millwall fan. I'm an MMA fan. I've got loads of gay and trans mates. And I don't. She's like, that's why it's your favourite fucking character ever. Because you're like, what a great guy. What an awesome guy Finally. this is. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you're right. But there is a beauty in that, right? Because of... I've not really seen that. <laughs> it sounds like I was like, I've not seen me represented on screen enough. Though, but it's about fucking time, isn't it? I've, I've, <laughs> I've not really seen th- those friendships represented. It always gets presented as a journey of of someone's had to come over to understanding definitely yeah. homosexuality or be won over or have a moment of going, you know what, we're all the same, really. There wasn't any of that. He's just instantly like, oh, wicked. Cool. Like, I'll come to the gay night or I really hope yeah. you go and... And or let's like he, not to give spoilers, but he buys him some lube and stuff like that. It's like ego, mate. I don't yeah. know how it works, but um, <laughs> just in case, I'd imagine you might need this. So yeah, it's 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 a great character. Yeah, and I think like you know that is again finally we are getting represented. But uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> I've got loads of gay mates. <laughs> um, but. Uh, yeah, like that is my that is my experience in my life as well. You know, like I met Jack really through my wife, and she performs in a theatre company, and they sort of perform a lot in like the queer circuit and in the cabaret circuit, and so that is like our social life. And um, I've definitely the relationship between Jack and Danny is something that in my real life is I have I have that experience a lot where I sort of meet someone, and at first they're like, eh, okay, like you know, this guy's probably a prick. But then when I'm not, they're kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Like, so we sort of bond over the, sort of bond over the fact that I'm not a complete knobhead. So, but yeah, I'm really happy that I'm getting to sort of portray that relationship because it's definitely important in my life. I think it's nice. There's no, um, there's no sort of like coming out scene between Jack and Danny. Like mm-hmm. Danny does the thing that most people do like 99% of society of presuming Jack is straight and being like what's your type knowing girls and then like as soon as he like sees him trying to get with a guy there's no like oh you're gay like it's just like he just then starts saying so what do you like what kind of blokes do you like like I feel like actually there's a lot of straight men especially because Danny as well is like 25 going to uni in my mind I was like he's kind of lived a bit of a life anyway in Margate where you know or like by the seaside where in my mind like every coastal town has a really quite solid gay community and you can always tell where they are you can always see them coming a mile off and they're always my absolute favourite people to hang out with Sundowners Sundowners, Margate, let's do it phone party, Kylie, yes Um, like I could see Danny like connecting with that and most like regional gay clubs that I go to or regional prides, like they're full of straight people supporting it and you know, I'm um, definitely I found with my friend Ollie, who who Danny is sort of partly based on. Dan, Danny's kind of based on a couple of my mates rolled into one, but like all of them are the kind of straight guys that like. When I was too nervous to go to Gay Pride, they were like, "Come on, then, let's go." You're like, "Keep your coat, we'll go." 
we'll have a look. It'll be fun, be interesting. Like, even it. if they can't fully engage in it or they're a bit, you know, I don't mind people being a bit like, oh, it's a bit much watching, you know, somebody in like a puppy mask <laughs> with their like bulge out and so square. Like, I get it. It's, you know, it's an interesting thing, but like, I think there's so many more straight friendships, straight guys that I know who are open to that stuff. And we need to cultivate more of those relationships in order for like society to get better. Yeah. I always remember, um, or no, or first of all, I want to say I'm certain that Sundowners in Margate was the first place to, to, to reopen after the pandemic. I swear, because <laughs> my partner lives in Margate, and I swear I was walking around, everything was still a bit closed, and they were like, they opening were like... Thursday night, kind of, <laughs> and fair play to them. I'm like, come on, you've been missing out. Yeah. Do you remember so if yeah. you had to buy a drink, you had to buy a meal as well? And I could yeah. totally see Sundowners being like, here's the Cardi and Coke, and here's your jacket potato, cheese or beans? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it, but I I I remember my experience of first g- going to to gay bars in 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 my kind of teens or early twenties was at, at first I had a moment of because we went to one it was great and then the only place me and my mates would go was gay bars and I was I, I, at first I was like <laughs> can we go to some straight ones because. I have needs too, you know. I, I, I want to be an ally, but I also want to meet women. But yeah. it was realised, like, there's a particular bar in South End rather than a club. And the first time it clicked, I was just about to go up to the bar and I just noticed a, a lesbian couple I know were, were just holding hands at the table. And I realised that that's why we were there. Because that, in the normal pubs we'd go to, would get yeah. looks or would get thoughts. Exactly. It's not even about pulling. It's not even about being outrageous and having a puppy mask and doing all this this crazy fucked up shit. It was like, we just, just want to g- g- go somewhere where we can relax at that yeah. point and not think about, are we going to offend anyone or get, again, even just not offend, just gain looks, have people, be, oh, you know, catch people off guard. And it was, you, yeah, it was an eye-opener. It can so easily be if you're trying to like express any sort of like queer intimacy in places that are like, you know, typically occupied by straight people, you can feel so on display. You can feel like a bit like a bit of meat yeah. in the front of a butcher's shop where like people will comment and discuss and look and whatever. And like, you know, that's why I really think a character like Danny's important. A character like, like Danny it will. You know, my whole career as a writer, whether I write like 20 shows or this is it, <laughs> like this could be it. But like Danny's still going to be the most important character I ever write because it's it's someone who actually I feel like we need more of and we need to support 100%. more of because there are so many layers there. And I think, you know, I certainly find that like when I first started writing Big Boys, I didn't write my brothers in. Uh, uh, so I write, Jack in the show is an only child, but I am not. I have two older brothers. Right. <laughs> I have ignored my whole life because they've never quite got stuff in the way that I've wanted them to. And actually in the last five years, they've really made the effort and they've like really put the time in and they've really, you know, my middle brother Dean had this big thing of like being like, I used to really be quite homophobic. Not like hatefully, but he'd be like, oh God, the gay. Or like he would make the comments, mm. you know. And and he sort of really apologised. And, and my sister-in-law, Michelle, who I grew very close to writing Big Boys, who was really, really like ill throughout the whole writing process, like taught us both a kind of lesson of like, who cares? What yeah. does it matter to you that there's two gay blokes in the pub? Like what does it, what, how does it actually remotely affect you? 
As weird as anything, though, it's it's highlighting people who don't know they're homophobic. Yeah, they're homophobic. <laughs> I've 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 had to kind of bring up to a member of my family because everyone in my family has always been so inclusive and supportive of all of these things. But I remember one member of my family, and I won't name and shame them, saying, "No, absolutely." Like it's when there was one of the gay the gay kisses on a soap or whatever. It was yeah. like. Absolutely fine with it. Not a problem at all. I just don't necessarily think it should be while we're having d- dinner. Yeah. And I had to explain. I was like, do you know what that means? That means you're saying it makes you feel physically sick. <laughs> yeah. Which I is incredibly that offensive. That's incredibly... I, like. It's, I know you're tr- you're not meaning to, but mm. you're saying fine with it, just not while I'm eating. It's like you, you, you're literally saying it makes you feel physically sick. That's... It's, it's, why the, it's kind of why the watershed exists in broadcasting terms for so many people when yeah. it comes to like queer love stories and anything gay. Like I yeah. heard that sentiment all the time growing up. When you're a kid and you internalise that, like there is the line in that one yeah. where, where, you know, I, I, I kind of admit that I haven't told my mum I'm gay because once she winced in 2002 watching Todd kiss Nick and Corrie. Yeah. And like just I think as a queer kid you remember that experience of being sat with your parents and a gay thing is happening on the telly and you watch how they're reacting. And, and you know, my mum's not homophobic. I mean, my mum like loves all the shit now. She'll be like, have you seen it? It's seen it. It's so good. <laughs> like, okay, mum, thanks. But like, you know, like those things, you internalise them. And actually what I love about Danny is he never really ever... He never puts it down. He'll be like, oh, a bit much for me. But not yeah. because he, like, finds it disgusting. He's just like, that's probably not my, that's probably yeah. not my deal. I'm going to go find some there, girls yeah. to chat up. Like, and, end of the I day, think, if you don't find F- Frank Butcher k- kissing Pat physically repulsive, you shouldn't find Todd <laughs> kissing Nick physically repulsive. You c- it yeah. can't be one or the other. It has to be all or nothing. Really. <laughs> I think, like, a lot of that stuff is, like, and like you said, Pip, about, like, you know, going to, like, get like a, like a gay bar or a gay pub and re- you know seeing that two people hold hands is I think a lot of those reactions you get like from people about you know you're saying about um your family member yeah. I think it's that we have this thing where we people just see it as sex and I think that exists in ev- in every space in every social space like it is about sex like you know whether you want to go out and meet people that's kind of what it's about but ultimately like it's that they don't see that like this is yeah it's love so it's about love yeah. and i think basically you know wincing at two people kissing is this idea that it's you're sort of disassociating this idea that there's love involved there it's like yeah. not about that it's about something else and like queer spaces or or gay bars or whatever are mainly places that are very safe and and full of yeah full of love and very sort of caring they're also full of people sort of like you know shoving their hands up at each other's asses in dark rooms sometimes but like it's that's that's like yeah i think but what girl at sit form prom didn't get fingered exactly it's sort of like as if all my female friends did i was jealous exactly it's it's uh so yeah it's it's really interesting because before I started doing the podcast, part, pr- probably the, the catalyst for, for this podcast, I was writing a script that has elements of homosexuality in it. So I interviewed a mutual friend of, of mine and, and, and Jack's, actually. And one of the things that really struck me in his story, which I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me, was when he realised his sexuality, the only options he kind of had were gay clubs that at that point were very sexual and very 
straight to it kind of thing. <laughs> like, he, he was like, mm. and, and now there is a lot more. But he was saying, he used the example, he was like, I wanted to go to a gay book fair or a gay, yeah. a gay, a, 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 a gay bake sale or something. So I can just ease in rather yeah, than yeah, yeah. I'm at a club and someone's like, do you want to go in this dark room? And it's like, mm. whoa, I don't. I'm, I'm not sure. It's, and his, his example was in heterosexual re- relationships, you'll have like a friend at school and you'll be friends for ages and then you'll start to like each other and then maybe you'll kiss. And then there'll be this like three, there could be this three, four year kind of slow development to sexuality. Whereas particularly, again, he was coming out in, I think the nineties, maybe early two thousands. It felt like it was like, do you want to find out if you get, if you gay, we'll go in this dark room and this guy will, He'll shove his hand up your ass, or whatever it'll be. It's like, wow, this is a big thing. But so I did. I also did only reference that because I was alluding to something that's in the show. In, in I the show, just, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I wasn't yeah, just, just, no. just making a complete generalisation. But that that's why in that's every why, corner. Of- it's why I wanted to get to that because the attendance of the gay club in 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 the show, I was amazed at how emotional it got me. Like genuinely, mm. I was tearing up. <laughs> weirdly at the dance scenes I don't know why but it was because again it's testament to your writing Jack and to Dylan his performance but it was the excitement and vulnerability of of, of you essentially entering your first gay club mm. and then being comfortable and relaxed again there is as we've talked about a lot there is a beauty of Danny being there and having a good old dance and, and enjoying himself and it not being awkward not standing there going oh this is a bit this yeah. is a bit weird or whatever, just having a, a a lovely night. So I guess how was that scene to write and to and to and to, to play out? Because it must have been I I, sh- I assume so much of this is drawn direct personal experience. I'm sure you will have changed and, and edited stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Well I tell you what, in my mind, the the gay club scene in it, which is in Ep two of Big Boys, is actually a little bit like a kind of utopia that I've slightly created. And I think it is in response just to like what you were talking about, Pip, like so much of queer culture and all the coming out process, the reason why it has been like so focused on, you know, bars and clubs and hookups and stuff is because like our freedoms and liberties have were stripped. (laughs) Like Section 28 was a real thing. Like homophobia in an institutional way was a real thing. And for years there were very few neutral queer spaces so it was like there's a gay club there's a gay bar there's booze there's drugs there's this there's that and like there weren't like you know here's a gay costa like i'd love a gay costa i'd love a gay (laughs) costa i could nip in in the day i could have a cheese and ham toasty i could maybe meet a nice guy discuss a book and then fuck off home like that would be great you know and in gordy's which is the gay club in ep2 i kind of really wanted it to be a space that actually had a bit of everything like there's a sort of joke about there being a crash where like it's the sort of gay club where everyone's welcome the straights don't fuck about don't do a louis spence accent but you are allowed in if you fuck up we'll put you in this holding pen until yeah. someone takes you home <laughs> that bit you're is delivered so perfectly because it's such a good little powerful <laughs> like dominant speech of look yeah. you're allowed in you're, you're all welcome in. but we're keeping a fucking eye on you (laughs) (laughs) and like i wanted that whole gay club thing to really be like yeah they all arrive and they're all just having fun and it's like community it's one of those things where like 
my whole thing as a writer is to try and say we before me. Like, yeah, I can make this whole show all about myself and my own experiences. But really, it's like, you know, the character of Corinne, who's, you know, really instrumental to the kind of like main four gang in the show. She goes and she's fully letting her hair down. And so far, we've seen her be immensely lonely and incredibly uptight. And then she hits up the gay club and finds like community. And I do think most of those spaces that I've ever been to, you know, they're not too cliquey and they're not too sort of East London taking themselves really seriously. Like, they are amazing open spaces. When we yeah. filmed, we actually went to the premier gay club in Essex. We went what, to the Cliffs. What was it called? In South oh, the End. Cliffs. That's Amazing. it, yeah. It was so cool. It was yeah. great. And they, were, like, welcomed happy. us all in. We, like, basically took, like, half a TV crew <laughs> into there. And some guy called Dan, who we met on the street, some straight bloke in, in South End called Dan. Yeah. Hello, Amazing. Dan, if you're listening. Hi, Dan. Dan the DJ. Dan the DJ, Dan. Uh, you know, and I, I'm, and that's kind of what I I'm wanted I'm glad it to you be. mentioned the character of Corinne there, because, again, another fantastic character, amazing actor as well, in, in Boiling Point, uh, yeah. was, was, was where I instantly recognised her from. But, again, the, I'm, I mean, I'm giving you all so much praise, but it's testament to her to writing and performance that it's the only time I've seen someone be a lad and it be the most romantic and, and, <laughs> and beautiful thing in the world. When he gets put in the creche... And the reason he puts gets put in the crash was choking me up. I'm like, oh look, this is this is is glorious. So, something you mentioned earlier, Jack, was if this is the last thing you ever write, you might write twelve things. You might not write anything again. There was something in one of your Instagram stories the other day that I loved, and it's going to be a subconscious thing. But you said something like, "Don't mind me. I'm just off to launch my first sitcom." And the key bit there for me was. <laughs> first it wasn't i'm just off to launch my sitcom it was i'm off to launch my first sitcom and i loved it because it is it should like i firmly believe it's the first and i think you've been rumbled mate you've been rumbled no it's great it's positive because i genuinely think that with scripts i've been like i had i had a script commissioned by warp and mark had to take me aside mark who, who runs warp absolute idol of mine had to take me aside and go work on more stuff mate you're acting like this is the one thing you're ever going to make this could take 10 years to get round to and it's a really important mindset i think i think for artists particularly people from the spoken word scene and stuff like that because you get so obsessed on one thing particularly like or edinburgh shows even more so i don't (coughs) know you get obsessed on this is everything for this period Mm. it's really easy to get into that mindset and yeah i just noted that and thought, this is positive. It's going to be subconscious. It's not going to be intentional. Well, but this is your first my, sitcom. That was also my close friends. Yeah. I'm sharing. I'm talking out of class here. But again, I generally, it's because I think it's a beautiful thing that you might not have realised in your head, but it's yeah. a positive affirmation, man. And I, I think t- that's... I think it, it might be actually. I mean, just wait till my first album. That yeah. never will be. <laughs> but yeah. I, I actually think it might be because, like, I really have felt like I found my creative footing in making big boys and you yeah. know I've got other like sitcom projects in development and like for example as we were talking about casting like I would love to write myself a role sometime to act like yeah. I loved acting in John's BBC Free pilot that was about his sort of character and like I know I can do it and I'd love to particularly write something about being a larger bigger queer person because that's mm. sort of quite like non-scene things still on telly but like I feel like I've loved big boys and 
often, like when I first met you, Pip, doing spoken word, I was never the best poet. I wasn't. I could do a funny list poem, but like I was just surrounded by like the best. And I was right. like, oh, I'm not really that good at this. And then when I started doing like live shows or theatre shows, I was always really conscious that like I never studied drama or went to drama school or theatre or acting or anything. Like I studied journalism. So I was always like, go and do my show and be like, well, I'm not like this isn't like really me like this is kind of me pretending to like be a performer whereas with this show like I don't know there's something in it where I'm like I know exactly what I want everyone's costumes to be I know exactly what high street shops I want them from I know exactly what I want the soundtrack to be I know where I want to shoot it I know how I want to like it's almost like all the sort of weird little bits that I've done over like the last seven eight years have culminated in this where I feel like it's like actually the first thing I've ever done in a weird way because I'm like this is actually me and all the this bits This is what it was I... meant to be all along. Everything yeah. else was, was, was the journey. Yeah, it was like my version of like, there. yeah, yeah, figuring so, it out. So what was the making it process like for, for you, Jack? Were you on set for loads of it? Because it's, it's a weird thing. I've, I, again, I was talking about this with someone on the podcast recently, but in film, more often than not, the writers get to fucking hand over their script and then the next thing they know is when it's out. Whereas on TV, there seems to be more, because of showrunners and all this kind of thing, there seems to be more inclusion and involvement and input from the writers. So I'd imagine, as you're also voicing it, you'd be (laughs) all over it, right? Was that the case? The bounds of my uh, self-indulgence know no walls. I was there. Mate, you wait until you see, you you hear how I'm ending this podcast. (laughs) I'm going to outdo you. Don't worry about that, but keep going. A little teaser there. Um, but like, yeah, I was there every day. I, I mean, thankfully, Channel Four, Channel Four, who are fucking amazing. Like, yeah. you know, I've done TV projects before elsewhere, and I've never been so like looked after, or just like every single thing I want to do that's a bit risky. Like, yeah, sometimes there'll have to be a back and forth, and there's always there's always a chat, there's always a bit of a fight. But like, they do always come fucking through for me. They yeah. always support me and always back me, and and they kind of you know and the production company helped me be an exec producer on the project which I wow. does which I do think helps especially when you're like in your 20s and making tv and like most people who are much older and more experienced would just be like oh get the fucking writer off the set yeah. whereas in this case it was like no like this is my little baby and actually yeah like I do know all the visual references for it and what I want it to look and sound like so it was nice because I got to like collaborate with the actors and I think as I'm a sort of writer where I'm aware that I'm working with some actors who are also writers. John is a writer. Alyssa Adele, who plays Yemi phenomenally well, is also a writer. And like, I want them to have, and Katie Wicks as well, who's also a writer, phenomenal author. Like, I want them to be able to, yeah, I'm giving them the framework and it is all in the writing, but like, I want them to have the freedom to go, I want to do this like this, or I want to put this spin on it, or can I change this joke or this dialogue? Like, it's a collaboration in my mind. And it's it's my favourite parts of it is when John comes up with a better idea than mine. And yeah. I can sometimes take the credit for it. That's the excitement, <laughs> isn't it? That's the excitement of it all. I, 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 these days on social media, I try and stay out of big topics because, again, I don't feel – unless I feel I've got something to add, it's just a cesspit now. But when there's been all the talk of, of cutting Channel – or, or privatising Channel 4 and all this kind of thing – the anger and vitriol with which I just had to t- spend a day tweeting about how important a channel it is. Yes, 
uh, they've turned down two different TV shows from me. But, you know, <laughs> it's all a learning curve. It's all a development. But, yeah, I com- completely agree. And, yeah, I th- I think B- B- Big Boys is is going to sit there alongside your Derry Girls, your, your Chewing Gum, your all, all these amazing shows that, yeah, I'm very excited for to watch the rest of it as as much as anything is it is it a standalone series because knowing you jack and knowing possibly some of the story in real life is it something that is going to be this is it it's one and done or is there are you looking to extend i haven't decided yet Right. The answer okay, to the like question that. is, of course, I'm definitely looking to extend. Yeah. <laughs> but let, I hope my if my extension is great, then we'll go for it. But if my extension is shit, then I feel like we've told a really phenomenal story. And I'd like to think that, like, that. all of the cast I will work with in another way. But, you know, I hope there's more. There is more story to tell. I just, I get very self-conscious that I don't want it to be shit. <laughs> yeah. But no. John, like, John in the rest of the series, which, you know, everyone can all, it's going to, Channel 4 are going to put it all up in one. Like, they really want people to just watch it all, all sex yeah. apps in one night type thing. Like, yeah. John really does something that I don't think I've seen on television before. And that isn't because I have written it like that. I think it's because he performs it in a way that, like, just, like, completely captivates you. And, like, for me, as when you're a writer and it's about real life, like even John just saying that thing just then about like the reason people get arsy about like gay intimacy is because they see it as sex and not love. Like I would never be able to articulate it that well, and he articulates it sometimes better than me. And that's where I'm like, it, it feels like all of our show in a way. Yeah, it kind yeah. of lives and dies with me, but actually the rest of them like have such a huge kind of creative input and stamp and articulate it even better than I do. The the podcast that came out today is with. Gaspar Noé, who's my favourite director, I think he's amazing, and almost every question I asked him, and another interview I saw with him, he was like, "You yeah, know, that bit's n- had nothing to do with me. That was, again, like his, his new film, <laughs> Vortex, uh, with Dario um, Argento, he's like, I convinced him to, to do it by saying, I'm not going to write any dialogue for you. He told him the story and said, just come up with the, the dialogue yourself, because he's like, I don't know how to write his words. He's... He's yeah. a master. He's a genius. And like, you, you realise so many of his films. Like, I think the longest script he's ever written is 12 pages. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely. And, and like, Climax, I think, was f- f- five pages. And I think it's a masterpiece. Yeah. And so much of it, he's just like, no, nah, I get the right people in. I have, I have the idea. I, have, I, I film it. Like, he'll literally operate the crane, all sorts of crazy stuff. He's like, I do all of that, but <laughs> the rest of it, I find the right people and then go, yeah, yeah, cool, you you figure that out. And it's like, I love that. I love, I think that's the case. I think we might have talked about this before, Jack. I think that's the case with writing in general. Like, t- taking notes is easy if you respect the person giving you the notes. It's really easy to learn if you respect the person or not is when they give them to you and you're like... Well, fuck this prick. Oh, what do they yeah. know? It's kind of like when you can tell you respect them when you go, all right, no, yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh, all right. And I think that's got to be similar with dialogue changes and things like that. It's like you've 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 put a team around you that you respect and love. And it's like, right, let's let's make this work. Let's go. I mean, we like we weren't changing like massive parts of the script or anything. It'd be the odds, you know, mm. you want to just make it. I don't know. You just want to add a stupid 
little bit of jazz yeah. in it or something. But I think it's basically because Jack was there. And, like, I hope... It feels like every now and again something gets made where they just actually give the person the freedom and the control of the thing that is theirs. And it always seems to sort of come out and then... Yeah, I just... That doesn't always happen. And then maybe after Couldn't agree more. Like, you look at Atlanta, you look at Fleabag, you look at Chewing Gum. All of these were shows where a channel went, we believe in this person. And whether they're on screen or not, you've got that the faith in that person's voice there rather than, yeah, it's kind of taken away from them. And then for, like, everyone else involved, for, like, us, like, on one hand, we do just sort of turn up and do our job, like, Mm -hmm. but because... Jack's there and he was on set. We, it becomes way more personal to you as well because that's just that's the atmosphere. That's the yeah. that's what you're allowed to feel about like the project. So yeah, it's sort of easier to to be more involved when it's like properly someone's mm. someone owns it. Well, uh, before we wrap things up, can oh. we talk about me? Um, we can talk about you. Can John, I shout John, out you- Jim though? Because yes. Jim Jim Archer, yeah. the director who you mentioned, who, he's done Young Offenders and he's done he's done stuff with David Earl and but he's, like he's do, I'm getting he, him on the podcast. I, oh great! I, I hit him up the other day because Young Offenders is one of my favourites and yeah, a, a, a Brian and Charles I think oh, is, is it's one of my films of the year. I, Have you I seen went the in, film? Yeah, honestly, it's going to blow you away. Oh, I went in as so as a fan of David Earl and of Charles and of of all of this. I was like, oh, I'll enjoy this, and it was a level above what I was expecting. And so yeah. rather than reach out to David, I, re- I reached out to Jim, who's Yay! clearly taken it up that level, well, um, <laughs> and pushed it on to the next one. And then I was, d- I was delighted to look and see who did this as well. So, yeah. He's like the... the I think he's the next big thing. Like, he's Beast. probably one of the best people I've ever worked with in my entire career. And I, and I think he also helped cultivate that with the actors. And he's so keen on improv and keen on the looseness of that. And I do think when you're telling stuff about such like intimate themes, that like there has to be a slight looseness to it. You yeah. know, I know some writers who are like, say it word for word, don't divulge. Like, and that's yeah. even like embedded in the casting process where, yeah. you know, I think, yeah, I just wanted to shout out to Jim. And now and I'd I'm, love to talk about you. I'm looking forward <laughs> to, 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 to chatting to him. I hit him up about coming on. He said, I'm up for it, but be aware no one will listen. And I was like, mate, not true. Look how much of a hipster I am. It's all about getting you early. I had Florence Pugh on four years ago, mate. No one was listening then, but now everyone's like, oh, you've had Florence Pugh on twice? Yeah, yeah, I have. So I'm just hedging my bets. But yeah, before we started rolling, John, you said we need to talk about Bournemouth. And, and well, you I, said, I, I now need to know, because I was saying I played there with <laughs> Mr. Hudson, well, I, who's got I, your haircut at the moment. Exactly. So I said my hair looks like Mr. Hudson. So you, so in Bournemouth, so basically, weirdly, actually, maybe is this coincidence, sort of? So my friend who passed away when I was in my, who I sort of connected with Jack over, he was really a big fan of yours. Oh, wow. And he was like a real hip hop head and he'd sort of like take us to these, we'd sort of get dragged to like gigs in sort of random places. Because like UK hip hop especially was sort of like you'd be... But anyway, after we passed away, we all went to my mate Pete, who's, you know, we were all friends of Ad. Uh, we went to see, we came to see you in Bournemouth. I can't, would you even remember the venue? I mean, we're probably talking like, I don't know, 2013 or 12, So I'm guessing it would have been like this really old venue, right? It, mate, all I remember Because I did, is... I, I remember two in Bournemouth and one was like this old venue 
that the capacity was like a third of the actual space, but because it's like a listed building or something, so oh, it was okay. like it was the toughest gig to get an atmosphere going because it was like, <laughs> and, and the other one was like it used to be a nightclub or something. It was I like think everything might, was black. I think it might have been that because I mean, I don't, my friend Sophie, <laughs> genuinely, that's the one that in one of the other rooms, Mr. Hudson, Mr. Hudson was playing. That is the night I was talking now. about. I guarantee it's that one. <laughs> Well, that night, my friend Sophie, I mean, we were all, I probably shouldn't, yeah, it's right, anyway, she, we were, you know, we were enjoying ourselves. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she was convinced that you were asking her to come up on stage. <laughs> so she, there was like a very sort of like nightclub-y barrier yeah. in front of the stage, which she climbed over and uh, got kicked out immediately, obviously. <laughs> So I think I think our night ended in having to go outside to look after her. She would have been w- welcome. I can't believe she, she made you miss out on Mr. Hudson in the in the other room. I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's funny. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, lads, it's been an absolute pleasure. And as said, I think the show's amazing. I can't can't wait to watch the the rest. I was amazed at which bits got me emotional. If that makes sense, it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> With the greatest respect, it's easy to draw emotion out of someone losing their dad. That's fucking yeah. sad as fuck. That's really, it's, <laughs> it's really sad. But it was the nuances of your writing, Jack, the, the voiceovers as well, and John and Dylan's performances. It was those small bits that genuinely just got me in my in my heart a few times. I was like, oh man, this is this is something special. So I can't wait for it. Thanks, I can't man. wait to see the rest, and I can't wait for. Everyone else to see it. You have, will you have in like a year's time or two years when John is like a superstar? Will you have him on solo so he doesn't have to have like me butting in every three minutes to be like, no, you're, he's so you're, good at being nice to the gays. Like, <laughs> just let, just have him on solo, hundred percent. But we'll think of a way to include you, Jack. Because as I'll said, you've, yeah. you, you've been on a collaborative mini one. You've been on your own, and now you've been on a double. We'll and figure a, a way. Maybe you'll be. Like the 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 phone a friend on John's specific episode. Yeah, yeah. If, if there's any questions he's uncomfortable with, perfect. Yeah. He can ring Jack. Phone a gay friend. Yeah. There should be a service available anyway. For, for, I already do. For possibly free. hetero people. Yeah. Well, lovely guys. Thank you very much. It's been a bloody pleasure. Thanks, Pip. Thank you, mate. Boom. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Jack and John. I'm back at the end to to wind things up. And I've got my energy back. I've got my pet back. I know that intro ended quite, you know, reflective. I got really deep. And 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 I let my feelings out. I let my emotions run wild. And I'm not ashamed of it, guys. One of the things I've got lined up to do on Twitch is me and Stu Whiffin just watching YouTube videos and crying and that'll be the stream <laughs> people in the chat will be able to throw up ideas m- mainly music based I do a lot of, cr- of crying watching normally live performances of songs when the crowd are really into it and it means the world um, I do a lot of watching them and crying so and I know Stu Whiffin does too Oh, tell you what I'm not sure I've mentioned this but a little secret me and Stu Whiffin have got a new podcast on its way I'll tell you more about that as and when it comes. Yeah. Anyway, I'm getting reflective again. 
it's happening huge love to to jack and john let's have a sit down in margate soon it feels like the right place for it and let's uh let's all go and w- watch or rewatch big boys on all four i always think it's called foreplay and i don't th- think that as a joke i've s- i've said it on here before i've said it on here before even though channel four have regularly been sponsors of the podcast on here i've referred to it as foreplay so here we are hope you enjoyed that hope you enjoyed the chat at the start with david earl and joe wilkinson and i'll see you all next week ta-ta